Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, in the past few weeks, we have been looking at the book of Romans chapter 6, where St. Paul has been teaching us what it means to be freed from sin. He talked about how in baptism your sinful flesh is put to death on the cross of Christ. He told us how we're liberated from our slavery to sin and joined to a much better master. In Christ Jesus, we are now slaves to righteousness. Our slavery to sin earns us nothing but death, but we are bound to Christ who has died for the sins of the world and risen for our justification. We're bound to him. We belong to him. We live with him. And so today, as we remember what we learned the past two weeks about Romans chapter 6, St. Paul brings us in this promise to its ultimate conclusion. And St. Paul begins today by telling us we are debtors. In this case, our debt is not a bad thing. Instead, it means that our bondage to Christ has made us members of the holy household of God. The nature of our debt is not that of slavery that binds us to destruction, but it's adoption as children of God. See, to be a slave means that you're not allowed to think or speak or act freely on your own behalf. You are only to do the will of your master. And even if the will of your master is not in your best interest, you have to do it. Think about that. Jesus says now, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And St. Paul said last week, the wages of sin is death. St. Paul says in our reading today, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. When we think about slavery to sin, we see that our old sinful flesh, the world, and the power of the devil, these are cruel masters. To be a slave to sin means that you will die because of your slavery, because that is what sin is. Sin makes us enemies of our Creator. St. James talks about this. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Think about that. Sin would captivate us so completely. It would set its claim over us so permanently. The devil would make sin so totally compelling and engrossing and normal that we cannot think of anything but sin. We cannot do anything but sin. And that all works to alienate us from God our Father. And we see this functioning in the world around us. Look at it. See how wicked it is. What are people fixated upon? What are people obsessed over? What offends people in this world? You know, it seems that the only thing that really is offensive to anyone is telling them that what they're doing is offensive to God. What should be offensive is celebrated. It's defended. It's even touted as a human right. Think about that in terms of maybe some of the battles we have in terms of marriage and the family. Think about this concerning the most recent thing that we have going on in our society, abortion. 
The mere thought of a person getting an abortion should be viewed as a scandal. Yet, what do we see? It's something that people celebrate. It's something that people vigorously defend. Or think about how perilous it is to live in the world today as a child in terms of that celebrated choice that the world wants to hold on to. If your parent chooses to let you be born, what sort of childhood are you going to face? You may or may not know both of your natural parents. You will be hustled from daycare to daycare and eventually to school. And this is because mothers are sold a lie that motherhood is not as honorable and blessed as making money and having a big career. Fathers are absent, either through divorce, abandonment, or just negligence. And if you're white, there's a chance that you'll be told that you're a wicked oppressor. If you're a minority, you'll be told that you are terribly oppressed. There's no forgiveness in there on either end. There's a growing chance that people will tell you that you can change your gender when you're in school. And there's a high likelihood that you'll be exposed from a very young age to all the wickedness that exists on the internet and on your TV screens. And then we think about that malpractice even in the life of the church as the worst malpractice committed towards our children is that we fail to teach them about Jesus. We only bring them to church when it's convenient, when we know they aren't going to cause a scene. We outsource teaching the Bible to youth groups and Sunday schools, and we are content to let our children know nothing about the Christian faith. And then we're surprised when our children apostatize. And to say anything about this means that we are judgmental and mean. What has generated all of these things? To where the most vulnerable are neglected and ignored, and the most opportune have everything they want. Why has our culture embraced such destructive behavior? It's so counterintuitive to what children need. They need stable homes where mom and dad are invested in their character and their development. They need mothers and fathers who will discipline and teach. They need to be told about Jesus. They need to hear his word. They need to be taught to celebrate God's design and order for creation, life, marriage, home, family, government. They need the forgiveness of sins to be preached to them and proclaimed to them and demonstrated to them in every way possible. But this isn't what's given to them. Why? It's because this world is enslaved to sin. And the devil loves to tempt us and drive us into chaos, disorder, and self-destruction. And we're told that that chaos, disorder, and self-destruction, it's completely normal. It's normal to deny the family. It's normal to walk away from marriage. It's normal to ignore your children. How deluded we become under the lies of the evil one as he sneaks into your ear and says, don't worry, it's normal. It's not hard for him to do this either. He simply tells us that we're more important than anyone else. He teaches us to prioritize our pleasure, our happiness, and our pride, and that these things supersede everything else, other people, our own families, even God. And in this, our sin is idolatry. And idolatry makes us enemies of God. 
If anyone stands as an enemy of God, they will suffer under God's righteous judgment. Sin is any action that goes against God's righteous will for us. To be enslaved to sin means that we are on the march in the multitudes of God's enemies, and that is not a good place to be. And so we must think about this. And we must stand in awe of the wonder of God's graciousness. Because to be a Christian is to be redeemed from these multitudes of rebels. As you're called out from this sinful world, you are relieved from the slave master who is driving you off the edge of a cliff. You are given a new master. And the relationship that you share with your new master is not the same nature as the relationship that you shared with your old sinful master. As sin is a cruel slave driver who is pushing us to the abyss of death and hell and separation from God, our new master invites us to call God our Father. That is the sincere, pure, perfect beauty of what St. Paul is telling us today. As he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And you are not just a child of God, you are a beloved child of God. You do not stand as a child who is ignored or neglected by your heavenly Father, but you stand as a child who is cared for, sacrificed, and loved for, by your God in heaven. You are a child to whom your Father has invited you to call upon, to rest upon, to trust in. He even sends his Holy Spirit to teach you how to do this. Why? Why are we poor sinners given such an incredible honor? Why are we treated so well, why are we as poor sinners invited to enjoy the blessings and the privileges of being part of the household of the eternal God of the universe? Well, it's for Jesus' sake. As we remember from the scriptures, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loved us so that he would give Christ. God sees and knows those sins that are destroying us. He sees and knows what fruit those sins reap in this world. And he has compassion. He has compassion for those who are enslaved by their sinful flesh and all of its desires. He loves those who foolishly love themselves more. He knows that delivering such poor sinners will not come without cost. It means that the eternal Son of God will have to be made flesh. And this Son will have to fulfill all righteousness in the stead and place of every human being. There will be none of this foolish sin around him. He will walk against the stream of those being driven by sin. As Jesus stands as the perfect Son of the Father, he will die for sins he did not commit. As he goes to his cross as the perfect atoning sacrifice to redeem poor sinners like you and me. Peter says it this way. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
not being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. That means that our sins are forgiven, our selfish idolatry, our blind and ignorant actions which stand in defiance of God and hatred towards our neighbor, our failures to do what is right, our willful negligence of our duties and our vocations, our sinful thoughts, our deadly desires, they're all heaped upon Jesus as he goes to the cross and our sin dies with him. And so that we do not doubt this, God binds us up with Christ in the water of baptism. As St. Peter goes on to say, he says, Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, all having been subjected to him. St. Paul says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That means that when God the Father looks at the baptized Christian, he sees his perfect son living in them. He sees Jesus living and breathing in you. You, O child of God, have been called into a new life. And it's not a life that is bound to death. It is a life that is bound to Jesus himself. And what God the Father says about Jesus, he also says about you. As God the Father declares from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You are presentable and pleasing and wonderful to God. Not according to your own actions, because we are not as good as Jesus. But we are pleasing to God only because we have the righteousness that is received by faith in Christ. Faith that Jesus' death and resurrection are for me. Faith that baptismal waters have washed my sin and covered me with the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Faith that trusts in the goodness and mercy of our eternal and loving God. This faith clings to Jesus is a gift that is worked for us by the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit beckons us to cry out every day, Abba, Father. This is because we are no longer slaves to sin. We are not blindly marching in rebellion against God and His will. Now we see ourselves for who we are. We are sinners who have been redeemed by a gracious God. We are those who are bound to destruction, who are now headed, handed over to an abundant life. And this means that we are now able to recognize when our sinful flesh is rearing its ugly head. As the Holy Spirit has enlightened us through the Word of God over time, we get to see the true extent of our sin. And we're caused to continually cry out in repentance, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Or as King David said, deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. And you will not be pleased with a burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Did you hear that? A broken and contrite heart will not be despised. Well, of course. 
How could God despise his own child? For God to despise and reject the faithful and penitent cries of any Christian who is calling out to God for mercy would be the same as if he denied Jesus himself. And he will never do such a thing. He would never reject or deny the crucified and risen Son, Jesus Christ. That means he will never reject or deny you so long as your faith is firmly planted in him and him alone. Christ has become your elder brother. He stands as the perfect man who has ever lived. And you become co-heirs with him of the glory of the kingdom of God. And so think about this. As St. Paul said at the beginning of our reading, he says we are debtors of God. And there really is no way we can repay what he has given us by his gracious hand. And that makes us something more than simple slaves. It makes us beloved children. Maybe to think about this, my kids, they're young. Even in the relatively short time I've been a father, my oldest is only five, I have been forced to sacrifice a great deal for my kids. I've had to work for them. My wife and I bear the marks of stress and pain from raising our children. I did not know what the words tired and worried meant until I became a father. Sleepless nights, tiresome and painful discipline, tending to every need of our children, clothing them, feeding them, playing with them, praying with them, teaching them what they need to know. It is hard, tedious, and painful work. Yet this work is a blessing to me and my wife. It would be weird if upon each of my children's 18th birthday, we gave them a bill for products and services rendered. Uh, how would I ever calculate such a thing? But no, my children are mine. I care for them because I love them. And they are bound to me in love. They are expected to honor me and their mom by returning that love. And it's not because they owe us for what we've done for them. It's because their calling as our children is to love us. It is who they are. By nature, they are called to love their mother and their father. They love us because they are our children. I am their father. They are my kids. We love each other because we are bound to each other as a family, and that bond is not broken. If they want to reject their parents, it would be an awful tragedy for both of us and them. Rather, we live in a natural affection toward one another. They want to impress us. They want to make us proud. They want our attention. They know that we will care for them. They trust that we protect them. They will hear us when we answer their questions, and we will give them what they need. It is unmistakable. They know who their parents are, and they trust that we will take care of them, and they also know that they must honor and obey us. It's just how the relationship works. This is the same as our calling as children of God. We are debtors who cannot repay what's been given to us, and we don't need to. The honor bestowed upon us poor sinners is more than we could ever render back to God. So then what are we called to do? Well, live by faith. Love the God who has saved you and given you a place in his household. Trust that the word of God is faithful and true, and cherish those words from your Father in heaven. Seek to thank, praise, serve, and obey the God that has saved you in all that you do in your life. Fear God rather than men. 
Trust in God above all things. Love God more than this world and this life. And that means that we may have to deny ourselves. We may have to suffer as the devil of the world and our sinful flesh will hate that we are part of the household of God. They will slander the Christian church. They will despise you for not being normal like they are. They will make your new uh, parentage under God the Father seem weird. They will try to make you feel out of place and uncomfortable with who you are as a baptized child of God. And do you know what St. Paul says to that in our text? Just the verses following our text? Who cares? You shouldn't. It doesn't matter. You know who you are. You know who you are called to be. You know who your Father is. You know what he has promised you. You know what you will inherit. Whatever the world will do to you is no comparison to what God has already won for you and promised you. St. Paul says, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And later on he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes or called into his holy family. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? With God as your Father, what can the world do? Your sins are forgiven. You've been called into the resurrection of life in Christ. You are baptized and sealed in the promises of God. And what can Satan do? Can he undo what God has worked out for you? No. He cannot revoke the promises of God. The worst he can do is tempt and deceive. And you know what? You are free as a Christian not to listen to him. You are a child of God washed in the blood of Jesus. He is afraid of you, and that is why he hates you. When he tempts you, tell him, go away. Stop buzzing around like the fly that you are. Flee to the scriptures, where every lie is exposed and silenced by our almighty God. And when you fail, which you will, when you sin, which you will, come running to be with your brothers and sisters in the faith as we gather around the gifts of our Father in heaven. The people who gather here every week are not just a bunch of random acquaintances that happen to be at the same church that you are this week. They are your family. You are bound to them, and they are bound to you. They are your brothers and sisters in the faith. Stand with them. Confess with them. Hear the gospel with them. Suffer with them. Suffer for them. And stand in awe of Christ and his excellent love toward us poor sinners with them. Eat, drink, repent, rejoice, uplift, pray, weep. Console, struggle, work, sacrifice, be comforted, and be content with the love of God with the other members of the divine family that you are called to be a part of. You belong here more than you belong anywhere else. You belong with the fellow saints of God. You belong with your brothers and sisters in the faith. 
because Christ, our elder brother, is here for you in mercy and grace. And he declares the love and the favor of our Father in heaven to you every time you stand before him and hear the words, your sins are forgiven you. In him, all things are brought to perfection in the love of our Heavenly Father, whom we cry out to day in and day out, knowing that he loves us and he cares for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.